How are you guys doing today? Good. My name's Todd. I'm pastor here. So uh, if you are, AJ, he's, he's starting to steal my, my intro here because it's on here. You're explaining the series and the stories. So we are in the midst, that's a good word, midst of a, a series that we call the stories. Now here's the good news. You don't have to be here every time to be able to get something out of this because each one is its own independent story, right? Part of the overall grand story of the Bible. Isn't that cool how we did that? No? Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so um, this is our third or fourth week, and I told you guys last week that we talked about Joshua and how he had been called to sort of step up and fill the shoes of someone who had some big shoes, right? Moses, and, um, and how he had to be, uh, take God at his word and have courage when it would be far easier not to. And I told you at the time, I said, listen, there's a lot here in Joshua, and there is. There's tons, and I'm actually skipping, you know, some of it. Go read the book. You should. There's a really cool section that I'm not going to cover today uh, about a prostitute. Did I get your attention? Yeah. That God uses a prostitute in his, uh, in his story, and it's pretty crazy. So go, go check that out in Joshua 2, really 2 through 5. Um, but we're going to be talking about Joshua again today a little bit. Before we get to that, I have some bad news. You're not going to believe it, Gina. It's really bad news. I hate to be the guy to tell you guys this, too, because it's not going to make me popular. Hannah, it's just not. I have some really bad news. You guys are all a little bit bizarre. Yeah, 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 I know. Listen, you're weird people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Case in point, all right? Now, listen, listen. As someone who isn't weird, I will, and is not... I will, uh, clearly I'm the weirdest. We're, we're a little bizarre. And, and I, want, I want to point out to you a few things that you do, that you take for granted, that are incredibly bizarre. I'm serious. These are things we all accept, not even just individually, because you got your own individual weirdness. We're going to talk collectively. Do you guys know that you shake your filthy hands with each other when you meet? Right? Think about that for a second. Like, you accept that as normal, but imagine that you are watching... Like two monkeys, for instance. It would be funnier. And they come up, and the first thing they do is shake each other's hands. And some of you go a step farther, and you try to assert your dominance over me by crushing my hand. And you think that I don't know that. You know what? Yep. <laughs> Greg. Uh, yeah. Okay. We touch each other's hands. That's weird. You, you don't think it's weird because you've been raised to accept it. But if we were to take other cultures or someone else and go, hey, shake each other's hands, right? That would be strange, especially considering where some of y'all's hands have been. I get it. We, we live in the COVID era, so we don't do that as much anymore. But even touching fist is weird, okay? Here's another thing you do. This is one of my favorites. If you know me, I'm being sarcastic. You give thumbs up. When someone speaks to you sometimes, and what does that mean? What does this mean? And it's even worse now when we have the virtual world. Guys, it's time to tell you something. This is not even part of the sermon. It's a new sermon time. <laughs> this is important. A thumbs up emoji is not an appropriate response to someone sharing their life with you or giving you information. It literally, it's like you saying, hey, Todd, I've had a really bad day. I hope to see you later. Do you understand how strange that is? Okay? You have accepted this strange behavior as normal. And let's just stop the sermon. Please, stop using the thumbs up emoji for everything. Just use, 
I don't know what, but it just seems so like, hey, you know, now you do it at work too. Hey, Bob, you forgot to lock the door yesterday to the, uh, you know, to the, to the vault. Make sure you do that. Does that mean you agree? Does that mean you're going to? That should be its own sermon. Everybody got real quiet because they're like, that's me. Yeah, I know. You wear clothes with another person's name on it. You wear clothes. Some of you are wearing jeans with a man's name on the back of them. That's odd. Or, guys, uh, sports fans in here, it actually hit me one time, that we wear jerseys with another man's name on. Why? If you actually consider it, it's very bizarre. It's a bizarre thing to do. What else do we do? Um, you, we've created our own language that is a text tone, okay? And I guess I'm finally making my way at 21 years old, <laughs> making my way into a different category. But at times, I don't know what you're saying in text messages. When you use all the letters, I don't know. In fact, this just happened. I think, AJ, I think I showed him. I was like, what does this mean? I can't remember. One of you said, like, you're welcome very much, I think. You, you guys, one of you used that? Y-W-C? Yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what it meant. Or, you know, we, we, and I'm not mocking it a little bit. We are, we've created a bizarre language, right? We've created a text tone like K. What does K mean? Uh, sup. What is that? Like we use these things and we've accepted them, but in, in and of themselves, if we didn't know it, that's bizarre. It's bizarre behavior. Here's another thing we have in America. This is if, if you're a foreign speaker or if you study our language, you know this to be true. We have different words that sound the exact same. Okay, there, you ready? There is a difference between a four-legged hairy beast called a bear and someone who is bare naked. You understand what I mean? We don't mean that they have fur on them, right? Bear, bear. Same word, right? Sounds the same, not spelled the same, and somehow we instinctively know the difference based on the context. That's bizarre. That's a bizarre thing. We talk to our animals. Don't even lie. I, I, yeah, Andy's like, it's one I don't do. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I do. I, I talk to dogs. You want to know something weird about me? I can't believe I'm about to tell you, okay, just to prove I'm a little bizarre. I will apologize to inanimate objects. So sometimes I will, like, walk into this, no one's here, and go, oh, I am sorry about that, and then move on. <laughs> hey, Andy, did you say you do that one? He don't talk to dogs, but he does talk to podiums. Like, you can't, like we have, I have bizarre behavior. You guys talk to your animals. Some of you talk to your animals more than you do your spouses. Right? right? I didn't mean to go there. But you get my point. We talk to animals. Uh, this one's a little offensive, but I don't mean it that way necessarily. We wear masks. And that's become, that's bizarre. It is bizarre. I'm not mocking it. Like, take aside political a, a, a sickness. Like, we have to wear, we wear that's bizarre. And even more bizarre, you'll drive down the road and people are in a car by themselves wearing a mask. And I, I, I'm, you know, and I don't, I'm serious and I get it, it's a habit, but my point is saying like, did you ever think of a world a year ago where that wouldn't be considered bizarre? Like for instance, if we go back in time and take all of us, just us, and we wore masks into Walmart, we would all go, there's the cult, right? You get what I mean? that, That's what you would think. And yet, now it's not. Does that mean we want to go the rest of our lives wearing masks? Hopefully not. But it's not bizarre anymore, even though it is. So here's some other countries, some things in other countries, right? In America, it's all about being on time. And in fact, if you're very mature and very responsible, you will be here 15 minutes early. 
Some of you pride yourself on that. I'm not that guy. I wish that I was. I'm not. I've gotten better. But in Venezuela, it is considered rude to be on time or early. Literally rude. They think you should be 15 minutes late. Right? But to us, that's bizarre. That's a bizarre thing. Here's one of the most bizarre to you guys, but only because of our culture. In Turkey, they enjoy the pastime of camel wrestling. See? You laugh. But they do. They take two male camels during the mating season, and they watch them wrestle. Because apparently that's how they, they tangle their necks up. And I was going to put it up here, but it would have taken too long. Right? And that, that's, that's a real thing. The reality is something being considered bizarre, which, by the way, definition in case you wanted to know, very strange or unusual, especially so as to cause interest or amusement. Bizarre. Bizarre is actually determined by popular opinion. That's why I threw the mask in there. A year ago, popular opinion would say to wear a mask into a store is bizarre. That is bizarre. Now, if you walk into a store without a mask, you are looked at as though you're bizarre. Right? Due to situations, culture, whatever, time. And within one year, something that would have been considered completely bizarre a year ago has flipped. So that being said... And this is, this is so true, and I need you to take off, it's one of my favorite sayings, you know this, take off your Christian earmuffs, the things you're used to hearing, and really think about this for a minute. Much of what Christ calls his people to do, and if you're in this room and call yourself a Christian, you are his people, it is strange or bizarre in the overall picture of modern society. I'm serious. I'll give you some. Hey, don't live with or have sex with your significant other before marriage. Don't do that. That's bizarre, right? If you need to try it out, make sure you guys work. I'm serious, right? Um, don't get drunk. I'm not trying to be legal. We'll get to that. You're not a horrible person if you've done that. We'll talk later. That's not my point. But, right, the Bible tells us don't make a practice. That's not good for you. That's abnormal. It's abnormal to talk to someone you don't see. It's called prayer. We just sang to who? We gave a concert, yes, but to the world, that's odd. Right? It's okay to sing with Kanye. Right? It's okay to sing with, with I don't know, Ariana Grande. I don't know. Pick one. I don't know who's cool now. But the point is, if that's normal, but to sing to God is odd. The supernatural in general, that's odd. That's bizarre. And make no mistake about it, if you're a Christian in this room, you believe in the supernatural. Fact. You believe in it. You believe in a God who's interacted in this world. You believe in a man who was raised from the dead. You believe that eternity is real and that if you put your faith in him, you will live forever. You believe that. You say you do. Going to church and it not being based on what you want to do that day. Now, I say all of this as a guy who did not grow up in church. If you're new here, I did not. So, like, I can tell you this was weird stuff. I remember going to service one time right after I became a believer. My girlfriend at the time was a believer, and she went to a, a very... Yeah, very different kind of church. But they talked about the blood, right? Oh, the blood. You ever actually considered that song? Not knowing what you know? I can tell you as a guy who hadn't been taught, that was bizarre to me. That was bizarre. Serving is leading. You want to be a leader? Be a servant. That's bizarre. Telling people that the, great, the first will be last and the last will be first. That's not normal. 
It's normal to be a boss, right? Being a leader is about my power. It's about making life easier for me. I get to kick my feet up on the desk. Grace. So many Christians say they believe it. You don't. I'm serious. You do for yourself. It's a whole different world to offer it to someone else. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is abnormal, right? We're all like, oh, Peter was so stupid, the apostle Peter. If I had been there, I would have listened to what Jesus No, you wouldn't have. The moment that Jesus told you you were supposed to forgive somebody 70 times 7, you wouldn't have even, you, none of us would. That is bizarre. Now here's the question. You guys can take from this what you want. And I've always felt this way about sermons and, and like going to things. Like, 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 like. Anyway, even the, you know, sometimes we'll accept one bizarre and then live another. So some of you will come to church and sit here an hour and take nothing out of it. Because you don't want to be bizarre. You want to be here because that's expected of you, but you'd rather just sit here through it. That's bizarre to me. What a waste of time. That being said, here's the question. Do you, do you try to avoid seeming bizarre to your friends that aren't Christians or to your friends that are? Do you try to make this whole thing more palatable? It's a big word for meaning easier to go down, easier to trust, easier to believe, easier to live out. Do you try to make your faith normal? Some of you do. If there's no difference between you and the world, you're not practicing Christianity. You may be a Christian, but you're not practicing Christianity. You're not discipled by Jesus. You're not. That's not we're not talking about perfection or stumbling. We're talking about your day-to-day desires and, and what you do. Where is your life aimed? Inevitably, inevitably, in following God, in following Christ, you will be asked to do something or not do something that the world wants you to do, that you or the world wants to do or not do, and it's going to look and feel bizarre, strange, odd, weird. It is, listen to me, inevitable. We don't like that. So what's happened is, is we create these little uh, tribes of what we can live with in Christianity. And we call them denominations sometimes. And sometimes we don't. We call them just... You know, we, we, we highlight our church over the church with a capital C, right? And the reality is we find like-minded people who accept some form of the bizarre but not the entire thing, and we're okay with that. What happens if the tribe that you're with, the people that you're with, has normalized it to the point that it's not even Christianity? How much can you take away from Christianity before it isn't Christianity anymore? How much can you soften what Jesus says and his call before you're not following Jesus anymore? See, grace is not the freedom to throw out what you don't want to follow. Do you hear me? That's important. Grace is not the freedom to throw out what you don't like. That's not what grace is. Grace is the unmerited, the, uh, the unearned merit of a good God who when we sometimes and oftentimes inevitably fail in the pursuit of what he has told us to do, not making the road easier. Many times when faced with the reality that God has called me to do or not do something that's bizarre, and it is true that it's bizarre, people try to create their own version of Christianity. I'm dead serious. This is what some of you are doing. 
it's a, a version of Christianity. They dilute it and they make it easier to understand and easier to fit in with the world around us. You see, there's a, there's a type of, we, we can call it many things, let's call it popular Christianity. And it's a type of Christianity that at least in America, you can follow and no one will have a problem with you. That's not how it works. We don't get to dictate the rules. We don't get to paint our own tame, normal version of God with the word Jesus and then make it the truth. That's not how it works. You see, when faced with the truth of the Bible and the truth of Christ, there's only two options for humanity, two options for you. Option one is is that you change to fit the gospel and to fit what Christ has told you. You change or you try to change the truth. That's it. Which internally makes you God. A very poor God, by the way. So today, I want to look at a bizarre story and a guy who was called to do something bizarre. And it's going to sound bizarre. And I think, even every time I read it again, clearly to get ready for this, and it's so bizarre. Okay? And everybody's going to want to tell you, listen, I can give you the history and the Jewish Jewish symbolism, and I'll talk a little bit about it, and blah, 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 and I think that's all good in a time and place. But today, I don't even want to focus on that. Because that's, again, you're wanting to somehow make it easier to understand. But even if I tell you, it's still weird. Even if I tell you that the number seven has to do with the covenant, that doesn't make what I'm about to tell you any easier. It's still weird. So, as you guys know, I told you last week, Joshua Joshua was called to fill. They get to the promised land. They're about to go, all right, Moses is going to lead us, and we're going to drive out these scary people, this big warlike people. And then Moses dies, and then God says, Okay, Joshua, you pick up the stick here, you pick, and you lead them to the promised land. And by the way, I need you to kill all the people over there. Drive them out. Joshua does it. Now, there's a lot of cool stuff in here I'm skipping. In fact, how, how a river dries up so they can walk across some crazy stuff. Which, imagine being on the other side. I'm like, oh, they can't get across that river. And like, oh, because they did see it. So then they come to this city. And this city... By this point, they've heard of the Israelites, that they're coming, and they're freaking out. They're like, listen, you know, I picture a guy named Bob. It's always Bob. You know, Bob the Canaanite standing there going, man, they're in trouble. Oh, my goodness, they just walked across the river. What are we going to do? All right, and he goes and screams and tells everyone, and that's where we'll pick up in Joshua chapter 6, and I'm going to be hopping around. I suggest you pull up the entire chapter if you're doing it on virtual, virtually here, and then we'll hop around. Forgive my voice. Um, the problem with it warming up is allergies get worse. And that is where I'm at. So if I pass out, don't panic. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, verses starting at verse 1. They heard about them. They're freaking out. They're like, listen, nobody can go in or out. Hmm. Well, man, I could make it really, I could like touch base with today's world and fear and how it makes you want to just hide. But I won't. I just did. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I've handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. March around the city. And here we go. First of all, you show up with your ragtag group of people. And some people say they were a hardened warrior force by then. Maybe they were. But the, bo- the bottom line is there's a big wall and a bunch of people in it. And God says, I'm going to give it to you. That alone's like, okay, I'd immediately go, I wonder what we're going to do. I wonder if he's going to give us like a, like a, you know, what are those called? A catapult maybe? Maybe a catapult could help, you know, or a battering ram. No, that's not what God does. Listen to this. <clears throat> March around the city with all the men of war circling the city one at a time. Okay, put yourself there. All right, and then we're going to bring out the battering ram. That's, I get it. We're going to get a running go. 
six times around, get a real good running go to bash the door down. Do this for six days. That's a big running go, but okay. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns trumpets in front of the ark. The ark contained what? It's a box that contained what? Oh, you Christian folks. The what? The tablets, right? They had God's law, the commandments, yeah. And it did some crazy stuff, by the way. You say you believe this. It did some crazy stuff because of the presence of God. That's a different time. Anyway, take seven ram's horns trumpets in front of the ark. And I'd be going, okay, I get it. We're going to blow some horns and get them scared as we're getting the running go. We're going to really scare them like there's a bunch of giant rams coming. I, I'm with you, God. And then the catapults, right? Have, and then he goes, on the seventh day, this is the day. We are going to hit them with this catapult or this battering ram. This literally may not have been what they said, but I can see myself doing this. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. <laughs> okay, God. I mean, I've already got a six-day running start here. I feel okay. But hey, you want, you want seven? I get it. Symbolism. While the priests blow the trumpets. Okay, those aren't very big men, but all right. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the people give a mighty shout. And again, I would be going, at what point is the battering ram coming? Like, why, aren't we warning them now? They're... Then the city wall will collapse and the people will advance each man straight ahead. Now take a second. And all of you Christians that have done it, you're like, this is so true and good, man. I, that's exactly how you take down a wall. No, it isn't. Let me tell you what we don't do in the American military when we're doing a siege. We don't march around the walls of Baghdad or wherever, right, at the time and, and, and start screaming and blowing ram's horns. That's not, that's not a tactic of war. That's not in Sun Tzu's The Art of War, okay? That isn't in there. So we need to step outside and imagine Joshua, who's already had to fill the shoes of Moses. Now remember, Moses did a bunch of crazy stuff. Split a Red Sea, made frogs come down, turned a stick to a snake. He did some cool stuff, so I'm going, if I'm, if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, am I going to get to make a big snake? Like, is that what's happening? Like, are you going to make fire rain down from heaven? I'm excited about what you're going to do. And, he, and God returns, and the plan is, nope, I want you to go around the building, and then I want you to blow a horn and go, yeah, right? That's what it sounds like to me, like a Broadway play. That's probably not what happened. But they scream out, and then God says the wall is going to fall down. You could say what you want, but if you put yourself there, are you doubting a little bit? Are you doubting? Because I am. I'm still, I'm still going, man, you couldn't have, man, Lord, this doesn't seem quite as flashy as you could have done, Right? Let's continue and see what Joshua does. And the difference between Joshua and us, and I'll explain it to you in a minute, because some of you still are in the place that you think you would do this. Maybe you would. You're pretty cool. Let's go on. Go down to uh, verse 8. After Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets. The ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. He's doing what God told him to do. Jumping down to verse 11. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling at once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Drop down to verse 14. On the second day, they marched around the city once, returned to the camp. They did it for six days. Jump to verse 15. On the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. Verse 16. After the seventh time, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted and the trumpet sounded, verse 20. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the people gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The people advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. 
So I always think of this in a couple ways. One, I think of it as, as just a man. Okay, I'm, all right, maybe I get myself on board. But now i got to be the leader that goes and tells my people, like even you guys. Guys, we're going to go out to the, the field we're building, and we're going to march around it seven times and give a great shout. First of all, by half of you, you'd call us a cult and you'd leave. I'm telling you, that's what would happen. Because I can, I can barely tell you to go to church or you'd get mad at me, right? If I told you to go out and march around, you're not going to listen. So to have the, the courage to say that to the people, which, by the way, can you imagine being the people? Oh, man, here comes Joshua. He's in that tent for a while. I bet God was talking to him. I can't wait for a fire or something. We're going to march around, and those, uh, those ten guys are going to blow a horn. And when we're done, we're going to yell real loud. And then what? I don't know. Somehow we're going to get the city. Listen, Joshua, I've been behind you this whole time, but this really seems like a poor plan, right? Where's the catapult? That's me. I'm the guy in the crowd continually asking for the catapult. This is bizarre, strange, and weird. Now let me ask you this. Remember, you have a choice to take something out of this, take a nap, go home, leave, whatever you want to do, but it's a waste of time if you don't take something from it. Listen, what would you have done? Would you have done what God told you? You ready for the punch to the gut? Do you do what the Bible tells you? Do you do what the Bible tells you? Do you not do what the Bible do you do what the Bible tells you not to do? If the answer is no, and since you're fallen humans, I know you don't always. You know, we have the word of God. A lot of you say, well, if God came and talked to me like this, how do you know how he talked to you? How do you know how he talked to him? All we know is that the Lord spoke to him. We want the miracle, but we don't want to practice the faith. Some of you in this room are that, that you're mad at God because you want the miracle, but you haven't went where he's told you to go, and you haven't stopped doing what he's told you not to do. And you're mad at everybody around you because they're, at, they're telling you to do what he told you to do and not to do. They're saying, hey, come, and you're mad at them because it isn't what you want to do. And you're demanding from a holy God him to move in your life the way you want instead of asking him to move and letting him do it the way he wants to do it. That's the temptation as humans. You know, I, this isn't in here. Well, anyway, let me come back to this. I'll say. Many of us in this room, I know exactly what you would have done. You would have went to the library and you'd have pulled out 10 steps to take a fortified city. You would have said you're just doing some research before you did what God told you to do. That's wisdom, right? And then you quote a proverb. You quote me a proverb and say that that explained why you're, doing, why you're disobeying God and trying to find some other backup. Or you might go look up how I crushed a city with my army, a pastor's tale, how pastor so-and-so in a different city tore, tore down a city, right? Tore down a wall, and you'd use that to justify, well, listen, Pastor Billy Bob, he did it this way. He used a catapult. It would have probably worked. I'm just kidding, God. Anyway, you see my point? That's the world we live in. Let's go into the Christian living section, and let's look up, should I love people? An argument, the Christian argument to love. What do you need that for? You have a Bible. You have the Word of God. Do you understand that? You have God speaking to you today? Or you find some other person who did what he told you to do, but they did it a different way that's more palatable and less bizarre. That's strange, isn't it? Because we somehow believe that the bottom line is we know, we see this big picture. In this case, a wall, a fortified city. It is a big deal. And God tells us to take it, and our mind immediately goes to all the ways that we can make it happen. Right? 
How can I make that happen? Todd needs a catapult. God needs a shout. That's it. He doesn't even need that. Because let me tell you something. The shout didn't knock the walls down. God did. Now, I will tell you a little bit why seven times. See, God was trying to remind them of the covenant that he had made with them. They understood the meaning of that. Because you got to remember, there's a lot of things here that I didn't tell you guys. And go read it. You see, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, they started to forget. They couldn't circumcise their people, which at that time meant a, a symbol of the covenant with God. It was different than the surrounding people. It, it separated them. They didn't do that anymore. They, they had forgotten who their God was. They knew him, but they had forgotten the covenant and the promise. And when they went around that seventh time, that was a reminder. And can you imagine, if you know that to be the case, that this is a reminder of God's promise to me, and then he delivers. Not because I marched around a city, but because God keeps his promises. You know, I think about, I always tell people when uh, this church started, if you're new here, you're about to get a little history lesson. I had zero zero, some of you like I know, Todd, experience in church planning, no idea how to do it. No idea how to do it. But I knew God wanted us to do something. And looking back, my favorite thing to say to people, and I guess it's kind of been convicted as I read this story, is, you know, I know what not to do now. I know how to do it the right way. Isn't that weird? What I really mean is I know how to do it an easier way for me. The reality is God used every single step along the way to create what he wanted to create. So I'm going to skip to it. This is for you, Corey. Keep it short today. I say that. Get ready for 40 minutes or something. What do we take from this story? That's it. That's all I got for you from the story today. But that, that's the story. And by the way, you know, go read it, guys. There's a lot in there. And there's some parts for you to, for you to wrestle with. I want, you know, that's a whole other thing when God told him to kill every single person in that city. How does that sit? But you got to remember who God is. Are you God or is he? What do we know about him? He is good. He is just. You see, the reality is they just got what every single one of us deserve. That's a fact. It makes you appreciate grace more when you realize that you deserve to die. And that sounds so harsh, but it's true. That our rebellion and our sin are evil. Well, I don't like that. I'm a good person. Based on who? Based on who? Oprah? Number one, what do we take from this story? Sometimes God, sometimes what God calls us to do will look strange and bizarre to the world. That's the reality. I have to use my life because I, I thought about telling some of your guys' stories, but that's not fair and it's not my story. That, that's more interesting to me. But using this church as an example, okay, people told me not to do this, right? If, you've, if you're a Real Talk fan, infamous question 11. Then they mocked us for it. And they said it wasn't needed. And blah, 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 blah. And you can't do it with no money. And blah, 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 which is really hard. Uh, you know, it was bizarre. Even to me, I wanted people to talk me out of doing it. To talk us out of doing it. I wanted that because it was bizarre. And it makes people uncomfortable. It still does. And yet God has done miracles here. Not through my obedience, but the obedience of a lot of people. It's going to look bizarre. You know, some of you are single and you're getting pressure even from your Christian family to, to, to compromise your morals and to compromise the word of God to get a spouse or to get someone. They do that. Isn't that sad? 
I know people in this, you know, people in this room, I try to change the story a little, who, who are trying to live out a pure relationship and are trying to do it the right way, and their family is comparing them to their non-believing relatives and saying, you should be like them and live together out of marriage, and that's a good relationship. That's what it should look like. Imagine living in that. Now it's your closest family who says the word Jesus, and maybe they are, but they've certainly diluted the truth to be comfortable. Some of you are at work and are being told if you'll just compromise a little bit, if you'll lie a little bit, cheat a little bit, turn things a little bit, then you'll climb the corporate ladder. And then I hear the words of Jesus. What is it if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? You live in a culture, guys, I get it, that justifies so many things. And now the church today and its attempt to get people through the doors has begun to create a message that is soft. That's just what itching ears want to hear. That goes both ways sometimes. Either to create a religion that I can manage, I keep my salvation by my own holiness, or one that says there is no truth, God's love covers, do whatever you want. Neither are true. You have to accept that this is going to be, you cannot, you cannot be like them anymore. There will come a time when you cannot You'll understand when Jesus says, you know, we, we've twisted this scripture. Some of you have. I'm in the world, but not of it. And that means, hey, I go, I go get trashed and take drugs because I'm being in the world, but I ain't of it. No, there's a deeper thing there. It's about the fact that you will never be a part of it like you were before you knew him. Because you are not the same. You are set apart. You are consecrated. You are holy. You can't. Now what's crazy is, is that even after doing that, you can choose to live out of not being that way. You can choose to be in the world, but you will be miserable. Because just like a fish on water flops around and is slowly dying, you're not, you, know, you can't lose what you didn't gain, but you will be miserable. So many times we trade a short-term happiness, right? You've heard me say it for long-term joy. And a lot of times, short-term happiness comes with compromise. Number two. This is more specific. This is your, this is your 10 steps thing. You'll like this one. I'm serious. I think this is good. i got to give you something. To ch- Our faith journey isn't always about the big picture. Sometimes it's one step at a time. I'm going to try to make this. This is a thing in Christianity. Now you see, isn't this weird, Tim? We were already talking about this, and it was already up here. He didn't know this was going to be here. And we, the reality is is that I think one of the biggest hindrances in our faith and the fact that we, uh, we struggle to live it out is we look at it as this giant thing. You are a saint, so you, should full, you, you need to be perfect all the time. And when you do that, you, you miss things along the way. Instead of s- saying this, you ready? Today might just be about the moment that you're in. I'm not a good person. Maybe you're not. Maybe you got to change some things, but you can be loving to the person next to you. You can f- choose to forgive that morning. You can choose to crucify your flesh and go to church when you don't feel like it instead of getting mad at Todd because it's his fault you didn't want to go because he's grumpy. Right? It keeps it too cold in here. Wait till summer, then you're going to yell at me again. Our faith journey doesn't have to be, God doesn't look at you and see pass or fail right now in Christ, in Christ. 
Without him, it's pass or fail. You've already passed. Now it's, are you making steps? You know, it's like, okay, I use this, I gotta go, we gotta go through that door when we leave here, you know? And I'm, and I hate myself the entire trip to the door because I didn't get there faster, because I stumbled, because I tripped, because I look funny when I walk, because my shoe came untied, whatever else it is, instead of thinking about the fact that I'm one step closer than I was when I started. Quit worrying about fixing everything. Quit worrying about, you know, some of you in marriages that are struggling, stop worrying about fixing the entire marriage. You can't do it. You ready for it? You can't do it. But you know what you can do today? You can be patient and loving and kind to your spouse when they don't deserve it. If you look at it as like, oh my good golly, my marriage is terrible. It's never going to be good again. Yes, that stinks. It probably won't be today. But I promise you, stop worrying about how long it's going to take to get there and focus on taking a step. And so how does that in the story? Well, what if he had done, okay, I'm getting impatient. I want the wall down now. You've walked one day. God said six and then seven. Everybody's like, okay, you don't think people in the crowd and the Israelites on day six were like, when's something going to happen? We give up too early. Man, we talk about this in Lionheart. You know, we say we fight for our, you know, we fight against lust. You ain't fighting a four-minute Thought of not doing something and not turning that computer on isn't a fight. Be honest with yourself. One step at a time. But, you ready for something? One day, one hour, that's enough. Because you stack up enough hours and you got 24 and that's a day. And you stack up seven days and you got a week. And you stack up, give or take, four weeks and you got a month. And you stack up 12 months and you got a year. And you stack up 10 of those and you're at 10 years and everything's cool. We're talking about this today. In some ways, this is where the world is, is farther than we are. I'm serious. The world says, we have an alcoholic. You know, let's give them 12 steps to success. There's a reason that's so successful. Can you imagine if they walked in and they said, listen, pass or fail, if you, you either, uh, you, ne- you know, you never even look at alcohol again or you're out of here. No, that's not how it works. We need to understand that. Quit focusing on that. Make it a day at a time, a step at a time. Focus on what God's telling you to do that moment, that minute. In our messes sometimes, you know, some of you have messed up. You may, you've sinned. And sin comes with consequences, bottom line. You know, the tendency can be, if you're like me, is you want to go, oh my goodness, it's ruined. Right? And that's not how it works. It's like spilling milk and you're so mad about the fact that you spilled milk that you leave the milk on the floor and then it gets nasty and smelly and now you got another problem. One thing at a time. When you sin and you've you've uh, confessed to God, when you know that you've moved on, when you repented, when you turned away, let it go and move on the next step. Sometimes the people around you are going to tell you that there is no next step, that you're supposed to sit in that. Because that's the Christian way. And then when you sit in that curdled milk for long enough, we'll let you come back in and we'll clean it up. That's not in the Bible. Number three, quit worrying about the unknown. Focus on what God has told you. So again, you know, if you're in this thing, God tells you to walk around seven, seven times, blow a trunk, you're still going to go, how's the wall coming down? Some of you ask so many questions of how God's going to move through your obedience that you aren't obedient. You overthink it. 
I know he wants me to, but how's he going to do it? How's he going to do it? You want me to tell you what you're trying to do? You're trying to be God. Just do what he told you to do. Well, how do I know what he told you to do, Todd? Read the Bible. Right? Read it. Understand it. Know it. Start with what you do know. I'm a terrible person. I'm, I have an anger problem. Okay, then the next person you meet, control your tongue. I have bitterness. I have hate. I have this. Do what he tells you to do. You know, a lot of times, do you know why God was so mad at the Pharisees? There's many reasons in the, in, in the Gospels. Pharisees, were, were, they followed the rules, but you know what else they did? They created their own rules. In the absence of specifics, instead of applying what God told them, which is love and justice and mercy, right? He said this, and applying to situations, they created rules. That's when he said, hey, you put weights on people's backs, but don't tell them how to take them off. You create laws and rules and fill them in instead of doing what he told you to do. Life is messy. There's very rarely black or white situations. There is right or wrong, and we need to be obedient in what we do know, and God will reveal the rest when needed. Quit worrying about fixing everyone. Sometimes even quit worrying about fixing yourself. Just be obedient in the moment. You're a terrible husband. Quit worrying about whether you're going to be a good husband at the end of the year. Can you be a good husband in the next hour? You're a terrible wife. Quit worrying about whether or not you'll ever change and say, can I be a good wife in the next hour? Because you can. Can I love in the next minute? Number three, we have things that God's told us back. You understand what I'm saying? Quit worrying about what does God say? Do what he told you to do. Number four, don't obsess on making things make sense. Again, I could see myself. I'm, I, I'm real. I don't know about the rest of you. I'm telling you, on day three or four, I'm going to Joshua going, this isn't making any sense, Joshua. I might even, I hate to admit this, I might be the guy going, hey, you guys think we ought to overthrow Joshua? I'm serious, maybe we ought to consider it. I'm not saying we should, right? And then he shows up, I'm like, it wasn't me, that was Andy, right? You know, in my flesh, I might be that guy. Because I'd be the guy going, look, I made a battering ram. <laughs> what if we just carry this with us in case God changes his mind, right? That's, that's how it is. Don't worry about making sense. It doesn't make sense, you ready? To love your enemies, that's why Jesus, Jesus is trying to get us to understand how weird this is because it's the way of the kingdom when he says, I, I'm going to paraphrase, he goes, listen, oh great, you love your friends and family, awesome, evil people do that. I tell you to love your enemies. Do you know why? Because God loves his enemies, how do I know? Because you are now his son or daughter when you were once his enemy. There is another side to God that we don't talk about often. But with God, there is a black or white. You are either with him or you are against him. And I don't want to be against him. Number five. This is very, very important for so many of us. Remember, when things seem weird, when you're going around that town for the fifth time, when you're loving your jerky husband that day and he's still been mean to you. Some of you ladies, I've, I've taught you, know, you'll be like, yeah, I've been good to him for, for an hour. And he just, I don't know why he isn't like the guy on TV. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I slapped him last night, but I told him I was sorry. Some of you do that. That's another little aside. If you're one of the people in this room, guy or girl, that you sin against your spouse and then demand forgiveness using the Bible, boy, you don't understand what repentance is. Repentance isn't about what you get. It's about making it right with them. 
Anyway, remember that God keeps his promises always. The beauty of this story is that there's, and that is the symbolism, is, is, is the seven times on the seventh day of God's, because what do you think's happening as they're walking around? You ready for this? Let's make it to a human nature. They're going to think, man, we already walked 40 years. Man, I wonder if this is like, you remember that time that God, God's going to give a city. You remember that time that he split the Red Sea? My dad told me that. My grandpa told me that. Hey, you remember the time that God did this? Hey, do you remember like yesterday or like last week when, that, when the river dried up? That was weird. <laughs> he told us we would get here. I don't know how he did it. It's a reminder for us that he always keeps his promises. So if God kept his promises back then, you know, Jesus said, it's a beautiful thing, Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing again, they're like, oh, are you against Moses? He goes, Moses and the prophets would have loved to be where you're at today. You guys believe that? That Moses would trade places with you? He would. To live in the, in the new covenant, to live in peace with God all the time? He had it, but you know what I mean. He keeps his promises. Always. Always. I don't know how. Sometimes, if you, you know, some of you, there's times I've told you, you know, we're talking, I might, a few of you have said, I'm, I'm real enough to admit to counseling, like, listen, this is above my pay grade. Like, I don't know how to, how to fix this. But you know what's cool? God still does. And I know this, that if you're faithful, God will keep his promises. I believe it. I know it. So here's the thing. She's going to come play some music, and I want you to think about this today. Think about this wild story that happened. This is history, not a, not a fable. This happened. Have you been trying to make God fit in instead of following what he told you? Are you trying to make him palatable? Are you trying to make Christianity cool when the times when it isn't considered cool? Some of you young people especially, you've been told that what you want and feel is reality. It's wrong. And that's why you're sad a lot part of it. I'm being honest. You don't dictate reality and neither do your friends and neither does your TikTok star. None of them do. Reality is reality. Who you are isn't about what you wear or what you, you know, how many followers you have or how many likes you have or any of the other things that you think matter in this world. And you're not the only one. Some of your parents do it too. God has already said who you are. He made you. He didn't make a mistake. He made the son. <laughs> well, I don't feel like I'm this. What if the son said, I don't feel like I'm the sun. I'm going to be the moon. Does it make it the moon? No. We need a sun. We don't need two moons. And that's not just them, guys. It's all of us. Instead of following what he's told you, are you faced with a situation in your life right now, situations that are impossible, and instead of becoming better and trusting God, you're just bitter and mad and angry and you're looking for somebody to punch and slap? Has it made it better? No. How many self-help books have you read before you're gonna say, I'm done, I release it, it's yours? They're not all bad, but I'm saying, sometimes you put them above God. Some of you have read 15 self-help books this year and haven't read one chapter of the Bible. That's tough. I'm not, I, I don't know how it works, but there's something supernatural about it. There is. 
good wisdom and truth and it changes you. Are you faced with a situation that seems impossible and you can't get your mind off the size of the wall? You know what I did there? Pretty big wall. No way around it. You've tried everything, haven't you? How about you try to let it go? How about you let it go and, and, and just do what God told you to do and let him handle the wall? Because he can. He had people jump and shout like goofballs and knock down a heavily fortified city. Right? But here's the thing. If you want those kinds of miracles, you got to have faith. It's not, it's not saying that it's dependent on that. It's I'm saying, are you following the true God? Some of your faith in your, your religion is lifeless. What that means is it's dreary and it's dull and it's all oh, Christianity. Because it's not alive. Because you've made this fake one. It's based around what you want. And what you, listen, you're fickle. What you want changes day to day. Me too. Maybe you get mad, right? You get mad at me because I tell you what he said. But what's funny is I don't ever hear you getting mad at God very often. You'll cuss me out, but you won't cuss him out. Even if it's stuff that literally is in his word. I'm not talking about the stuff that Todd adds that is terrible, right? I mean, there is that. Maybe you should focus on what God wants you to do now in the moment, one step at a time. Are you more afraid of looking bizarre than you are of following God? There will come a time that you have to pick. Jesus says it. You got to carry your cross, crucify the flesh. A man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of my kingdom, right? And it doesn't mean your perfection. It means your acceptance of reality. That God loves you. That God's going to keep his promises to you always. God keeps his promises. Will you keep yours to him? Or does it change when it's convenient? I'm not saying this to shame you guys. Even you know, The sad thing is even our best efforts, we fall short. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't give our best efforts. So, and some of you in this room, you need to hear the most bizarre thing I'm ever, you probably ever heard. And that's the fact that you, right now, without Jesus, if you're not Christian, you're dead. You are. You're just waiting to find out. That's reality. I know it's scary. It is scary. But I got to tell you bad news before I can tell you good news. You've set yourself against the holy God. It doesn't matter what you believe. I always hear like, well, I don't believe in that. Okay. Do you believe in gravity? You can go jump off a building, you've heard me say, and flap your wings and say, I don't believe, and you're going to still hit the ground. We have bought the modern lie that what we say is true is true. It's not true. So here's the reality. God created everything, made it perfect, created us to live in this, this world, and he had one rule. Really, it is one rule. The rule was he is God and we're not. We let him be the one to say what's right and wrong. That's what it was, and he said, that's what the tree was. And we rejected that. And we've done it ever since the day. And because of that, we've set ourselves against God. He cannot be holy. Perfect holy being cannot be with something unholy. And since we've rejected him, sin entered the world. It's a disease and it's the actions that come out of it. So even if you're good enough, you still got the sickness. And so God tried to make us understand that. The Ten Commandments, many other things. This is how you live. It didn't work. We can't out-religion our sin. It needs something more. 
And so God came down, right, in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. Thousands of years, by the way, since the moment we made that decision to reject him until now, we see what happens, as you've heard me say, when the creation walks from the creator. It's a mess. It's a mess. You're a mess. I'm confused, Todd. I was born this way. I was this way. I was that way. It doesn't matter. I was born angry. (laughs) Okay? That doesn't mean I get to give in to it because I want to be. God came down when we couldn't save ourselves. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth existed. God made flesh. He told us how to live, showed us how to live, told us right and wrong. He didn't say it would be easy. And then he did something incredible. We had stored up wrath for ourselves. We can't pay the debt. And Jesus died on a cross, a a terrible physical death. And the Father turned his back on him instead of having to turn it on us. In fact, on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was forsaken, so you never have to be. He he was raised from the dead on the third day. It's a fact that over 500 people saw him. There's historical documents that you'll never hear about because the world doesn't want you to. Go look it up. Where outside sources said, people are saying they're seeing this man. And all your brokenness and the death that you face and all that sin can be fixed. On the cross, Jesus offers us a deal. We get to take back what we did in the garden. You get to make him God and you not. And the Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Bottom line. So remember that scary thing I told you? You will have life forever. You will. When you die here, that's not sad. Sad for everybody else, but you get to go home. That's it. That's the beauty of the gospel. So listen, these next few minutes, we're going to have what we call altar time. This is a time for you and God to pray and talk. There'll be people up here willing to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus, that's just a fancy word to say you haven't accepted what I told you. You can walk out here today completely assured that, Lord forbid, something happened to you, that you would be in paradise immediately. You never have to be afraid. You don't have to be perfect. You come as you are. I'm not perfect still, and I've been a Christian for a while now. And I never will be this side of heaven. But I have the promise that someday he's going to finish the good work he started in me. And that's what he's going to do with you. Whatever you do, wherever you're at, don't leave the same as you came in. If you do, you're choosing to.